You're listening to Rights Up, a podcast from the Oxford Human Rights Hub. I'm Peppy Bingham-Hall, a podcaster at the Hub. In today's episode, I'm delighted to sit down with Catherine Briddick, the Andrew W. Mellon Associate Professor of International Human Rights and Refugee Law with Oxford University's Refugee Study Centre, to discuss the Supreme Court's judgment on the UK Rwanda policy. Welcome, Professor Briddick, and thank you for joining me today. So to start off, could you please start by giving us a brief overview of the case and why last week's decision was so significant? Thank you. And first, I just want to say a big thank you to everyone at the Oxford Human Rights Hub for giving me the opportunity to talk about this judgment, because it's a really significant decision, both for the UK and for the perspective of international human rights law. Before I explain the decision itself, I just need to provide a little bit of context. So in spring um, 2022, the government entered into an agreement with Rwanda, a migration and economic development partnership agreement through a memorandum of understanding. So this was a political and not a legal agreement. And what it sought to do was enable the transfer or deportation of asylum seekers from the UK to Rwanda to have their claims determined there in accordance with Rwandan immigration and asylum law. Now, this case, AAA and others, was brought by a group of asylum seekers who had claimed protection in the UK. They had been compelled to travel here irregularly, as the vast majority of refugees are compelled to do. So they had arrived in some cases um, on small boats and in one case by lorry. They came from a range of countries, including Iran, Iraq, Sudan and Syria, countries which are widely recognised as posing quite significant risks to individuals. Now, the Home Secretary declared these applications for asylum inadmissible and sought to remove those who made them to Rwanda. And this case concerned two kinds of challenge. One to the lawfulness of the Rwanda policy in general, and two to the decisions made in each individual case. UNHCR, the United Nations High Commissioner for Refugees, was given permission to intervene in the case, and their knowledge and expertise on the situation in Rwanda proved absolutely decisive. The case progressed all the way through the UK's courts to the Supreme Court, who held in November that the Rwanda policy was unlawful. Now, this case has to be understood in a particular context, one of externalisation, because the United Kingdom, through a combination of uh, law, policy and agreement, is seeking to outsource its international legal obligations to refugees and to others who are in need of international protection, including victims of trafficking. Now, these moves rest on there being a safe third country for the Secretary of State to deport asylum seekers to. And in this case, the Supreme Court found that the only country with which the UK had such an agreement, Rwanda, was not in fact a safe place for asylum seekers to be sent to. Fantastic. Third country processing schemes have been in the news for some time now. Australia's Stop the Boats campaign and the removal of asylum seekers to Papua New Guinea and Nauru have been said to directly influence the UK's Rwanda policy. Closer to home, German Chancellor Olaf Scholz has made similar policy commitments and Italy has signed an agreement with Albania. So I'm wondering, how does the Supreme Court's decision fit within this broader trend of third country processing and with international and EU law? 
I think that's a really interesting question because, as I've explained, at the heart of this decision was a so-called safe third country agreement in which the UK was seeking to outsource or externalise its international legal obligations to refugees. And yet it's not that kind of agreement that the court is specifically focusing on in its judgment. Instead, the court limits its legal analysis to the principle of non-reformal. And the decision itself neither permits nor precludes the other kinds of arrangements that you're talking about. Essentially, the court leaves a number of questions unanswered. This includes whether or not there's an obligation or an implied obligation in the Refugee Convention on states to process claims made by those within their jurisdiction. Um, it also leaves the question unanswered of whether or not the motivations of states entering into these kind of agreements matter. And this is really important uh, legally because the Refugee Convention's preamble refers to international cooperation and responsibility sharing. UNHCR itself has documents which refer to the expansion of the protection space. And yet the UK's agreement with Rwanda was one which was an attempt to outsource its international responsibilities onto a state that already hosts many thousands of refugees, but also to deter protection seekers from traveling to the UK. So these types of motivations were not examined by the court, nor was the relevance of the Refugees Convention's principles of either non-penalisation or non-discrimination. And finally, the court did not rule on whether or not safe third country agreements should require some kind of connection between the individual protection seeker and the state that they are sent to. Interestingly, however, the court did point out that it hadn't heard argument on this point that related to the European Convention on Human Rights. And I think here the court is leaving a marker that these and other types of questions are going to have to be litigated and adjudicated on in the future. Of central issue in the decision is the principle of non-refoulement. The Supreme Court ruled that there are substantial grounds for believing that asylum seekers would face a real risk of ill treatment by reason of refoulement to their country of origin if they were removed from the UK to Rwanda. Could you speak a bit more about this principle and the human rights implications of the ruling? The prohibition on refoulement is a prohibition on returning someone to a situation where their life or their freedom would be threatened. It has a number of sources in international law. These include refugee law and the Refugee Convention itself, but also a range of other instruments in international human rights law. So it's notable, for example, that the Supreme Court referred to the International Covenant on Civil and Political Rights, as well as the Convention Against Torture. But there are other sources of the prohibition on reformer as well. These include the law on extradition and international humanitarian law, or as the Supreme Court identified, customary international law. So at the centre of this case was the ability of individual refugee status determination procedures in Rwanda to recognise and protect refugees. And the court was concerned that refugees who were deported by the UK to Rwanda would not be protected and would be returned by Rwanda to situations um, where they were not safe. The court found that in these circumstances, refugees would face a real risk of ill treatment when they should never have been returned at all. Fantastic. So following the decision, there has been much discussion from within Whitehall about next steps. For example, they have spoken of increasing capacity in Rwanda to process the claims or the potential of offshoring. 
And I was wondering, what has the judgment left open to the government? And how do you see this progressing? So I think at this point, it's important to observe that this was a unanimous decision by the Supreme Court. It was one that applied a really clear legal principle, the prohibition on non-reformer, to a body of uncontroverted evidence provided by UNHCR, uh, which has the responsibility of supervising, of guarding the refugee convention. And yet within hours of the judgment being handed down, there are elected politicians calling for the decision to be ignored, and the government was promising overriding legislation. Now, the kind of legislation being promised, if passed, would raise really serious issues from the perspective of both international human rights law and domestic constitutional law. On the former, if the UK were to pass legislation to the effect that Rwanda was safe, it wouldn't alter in any way the UK's obligations under the range of international legal instruments that I've already described, including the European Convention on Human Rights, the ICCPR and CAT. It would place the UK on a collision course with the European Court of Human Rights, but also those UN treaty bodies that supervise those conventions. From the perspective of domestic law, it would be absolutely unprecedented for a government to pass legislation that overrules a factual finding by our highest constitutional court, the UK's Supreme Court. And that would raise really profound questions relating to both the separation of powers and the rule of law in the UK. Rights Up is brought to you by the Oxford Human Rights Hub. The executive producer is Megan Campbell. This episode was produced and edited by Sophie Smith and hosted by me, Peppy Bingham Hall. Research was provided by Frances Hand and myself. Music for the series is by Rosemary Orman and show notes for this episode have been written by Sarah Dobby. And please subscribe to this podcast wherever you like to listen to your favourite podcasts. <laughs>